DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Father James Kubicki, who is the president of St. Francis Mission on South Dakota's Rosebud Reservation, the oldest Jesuit mission among the Lakota Sioux. He previously served as the national director of the Apostleship of Prayer, now known as the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network. With Father James Kubicki, we go inside the pages of A Heart on Fire, Rediscovering Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Published by Ave Maria Press. Father Kubicki, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. It's good to be with you, Chris. I am happy to have this opportunity to talk about something dear to my heart. Well, I I can't tell you how much I just love a Heart on Fire, Rediscovering Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You've done such a beautiful job of pulling it all together and making it so accessible to anyone who's seeking. Thank you so much again. Oh, you're welcome for that feedback. You know, it's it's what I set out to do, so I'm so glad to hear you say that. I really wanted to take this, this very important devotion in the Catholic Church, devotion to the heart of Jesus, and make it accessible to people today and show people how it can really feed our spirituality and keep us grounded and help us get day-to-day through the trials of life. So uh, I'm glad to hear you give me that feedback today. Well, I think sometimes, Father, isn't it true that when we think of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, for some of us, we immediately jump to an image on our grandmother's wall. And we think of the picture instead of what the picture represents. I mean, just even the term sacred heart means holy heart of Jesus. I mean, that's something that goes way back to, well, even to his time on earth and has been part of the church, which you so beautifully chronicle throughout this whole time. Yes. Well, and I I think you're right. Most of us think of of an image that uh, hangs either in our churches or in our grandmother's homes. And... You know, it's it's so much bigger, and, and often people will ask, well, why is it that we have a devotion to the heart of Jesus? Why not his head? Why not his uh, his hands? And, you know, the, the heart is so much more than the physical organ within the chest of Jesus. It, it represents his whole being. It represents the center of him. And we're all familiar, as I, I point out in the book, that that when we talk about the heart, we're not speaking simply about the physical organ, because when I say to someone that I feel compassion for, my heart goes out to you, we know immediately that we're not talking about the heart leaving the body, but we're talking about this deepest part of ourselves that is reaching out to another with compassion. And that's Jesus, and that's why the image of of him with his heart on outside is such a... Um, visual and important image for us. It it tells us that his heart is always going out to us and is always there with his love for us. And all we need to do is to turn to him to receive that love. I'm recalling the words that were given to St. Margaret Mary as well, that the sacred heart of Jesus, I trust in you. That element of trust is something that is so key in this reception of this love, isn't it? definitely is. And one of my favorite stories in the book, and I, I was so happy to 
hear from the man that I wrote about, but there's a story in there about Admiral Jeremiah Denton, who was a Navy pilot, was shot down during the Vietnam War, and spent years in a camp in North Vietnam. And it was that prayer that he said helped him get through the torture and through uh, those years of solitary confinement, that prayer, Sacred Heart of Jesus, I trust in you. But what he experienced one day when he was being tortured was uh, a different prayer, a little twist on that prayer. What, what he experienced was the Lord calling him to pray it a little differently, to say not Sacred Heart of Jesus, I trust in you, but Sacred Heart of Jesus, I give my life to you. And he said this really struck him that it was a little different way of saying the prayer that he had learned as a boy. And it, it made so much sense because it was a way of saying, I do trust in you, Jesus, and so that's why I give my life to you. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this, this prison, through this torture that I'm experiencing here, but I give my life to you and surrender it to you because I know in your hands that's where it will be the safest. Oh, how beautiful. Throughout the entire book, you give us glimpses of the great understanding that so many of the the church fathers, the patristics had of the heart of Jesus. It, it that I you know that was kind of a revelation for me. I I didn't appreciate it until you pulled it all together how true that is. Yes. You know, one of the points I tried to make in the book is that devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus doesn't begin with St. Margaret Mary. So often people think that it begins with Jesus' revelations to her in the 1600s, but it's really grounded in the scriptures and in the early tradition of the Church. And this is where I think it's important for people to realize that it's not something new, but it's really part of our, our tradition. And one of the points I try to make in the book is that um, from time to time, after he rose and from the dead and ascended into heaven, Jesus has appeared at different points in history, and he has reminded us of some of his teachings and helped us to go deeper. So in the 1200s, he appeared to uh, St. Juliana of Liege, to whom he revealed himself in the Holy Eucharist and said, I want a feast in honor of my body and blood, Corpus Christi. And then 400 years later, he appeared to St. Margaret Mary and called for a feast of reparation because many people had begun to ignore him in the Eucharist and treated him sacrilegiously with irreverence, uh, ignoring his presence in the Eucharist. And so he called for a feast of reparation. And in each of these appearances of Jesus and feasts, we have him teaching us more and more about his... uh, his body and blood in the Eucharist, including his sacred heart, which is present beating for us in the Eucharist. And it's, uh, again, a reminder that uh, what Jesus said at the Last Supper to the Apostles, there's much more I want to tell you, but you will not be able to handle it now. But the Holy Spirit will come and reveal all things to you and help you understand. And Jesus himself has appeared from time to time to help us understand some of the great depths of his love for us. How important for us to really appreciate that, because it shows that God is very active and alive today, 
as much as he was 2,000 years ago. And that activity of the Holy Spirit and allowing these revelations to occur, wow. I mean, it just yeah. keeps, it, it keeps it growing and growing as we expand in our, our knowledge of him. That's right. And I think this is part of why Pope Benedict has called for the year of faith, because he wants us to go deeper in our faith. You know, when we, we started the new millennium, Blessed John Paul II wrote a letter to the Church, and he used the Latin words, Duke in altum, which were words that Jesus spoke to St. Peter, put out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch. But Pope John Paul spoke those words to the Church, telling us we need to go deeper in our spiritual lives, because the forces of secularization are so strong. They nibble away at our confidence, at our faith, and if we don't have a deeper faith, we will lose it. And I think Pope Benedict is following in this great prophetic call of Blessed John Paul II and has called for this year of faith specifically so that we might go deeper, not just in our knowledge, uh, which is very important of the catechism and the truths of the faith, but also deeper in our relationship with Jesus. And so he says, you know, ultimately, in his encyclical um, Deus Caritas Est, his first encyclical, God is Love, he says, you know, ultimately it comes down to not simply a set of doctrines and beliefs, but a person. And this is where I think the uh, devotion to the heart of Jesus can help us go deeper in this relationship with the very person of Jesus. We're talking to Father James Kubicki, who is the author of A Heart on Fire, Rediscovering Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And this is a book I would pray would be, I, I have to say it, every Catholic home, to help us to be able to do, just as it says, rediscover this devotion because it is, Father Kubicki, especially at your hands as the leader of the Apostleship of Prayer, you have mastered this book in such a way that it hits on all these different elements, but yet you continually teach us how to pray, you give us practices, devotional elements, you break open litanies, you know, even just the words we may have grown too accustomed to. I mean, everything about it is just phenomenal. It's the one that, you know, you would hope people would, as I said, have in their homes. Well, thank you again, Chris. You know, it, it just confirms what I had set out to do with this book, which was not only to explain the devotion to uh, the contemporary world, but also to offer ways that people can practice it. Because so often we think of practicing devotion to the Sacred Heart as maybe going to Mass on the first Friday of each month, which is very good to do, or having our family consecrated to the Sacred Heart by enthroning an image of the Sacred Heart in our homes, and that's also very important. But it really is something that should permeate our whole life, and that's where I think the um, spirituality of the Apostleship of Prayer can be helpful, because in um, the practices that we encourage, it's very simple. You know, we encourage a, a daily offering, starting the day with a morning offering, and offering our whole day to the Lord with Jesus. And so it's a very Eucharistic spirituality that we live our lives offering ourselves to the Father with Jesus. Then we try to be mindful of that during the day, um, that different works, or if we're enjoying ourselves on the golf course, or if we're stuck in traffic, or whatever the situation may be, we try to 
make an offering of, of those moments of our day, and then at the end of the day to review the day that we offered to God. And, and I think this simple process helps us to live in union with the sacred Eucharistic heart of Jesus and also helps us to begin to see the world with these eyes of faith, you know, that we see God is truly active. He's active in my life. He's teaching me and giving me opportunities to grow through the events of my life. And this is, again, what seeing the world with the eyes of faith is all about. I also think it's so wonderful that you as a Jesuit continue to lift up this particular devotion because it's always been part of the Jesuit mission since at least uh, St. Claude de Colombier who was a Jesuit, the spiritual director for Margaret Mary. It's just part of that great tradition. So I just applaud you and thank you so much for continuing on with that legacy. Oh, well, you're very welcome, and thank you for that encouragement. It, it is something that, that I have, it's very dear to me. And, you know, a lot of times people think, well, I must have grown up in a family where we had uh, a sacred heart image or practiced the devotion. And, and, it was there part of our life, but not in an explicit way, the way people might think. Um, but I think it was through my Jesuit vocation and uh, tapping into this tradition that you mentioned of Jesuits who, um, well, in the case of Claude Colombier, he was the spiritual director for St. Margaret Mary, and, and others after him uh, wrote books about this. And, and it is part of our uh, charism. Um, that we are called to promote devotion to the heart of Jesus. And I, I can't help thinking in my own life that the Lord was preparing me for this work. I've been director now for about nine years and um, as the director of the Apostleship of Prayer, and it's really given me an opportunity to promote this devotion that is dear to me. And I can't help thinking that it was providential because I was ordained on the Feast of the Sacred Heart in 1983. Mm. And, uh, you know, there, there aren't coincidences when we come to things like this, are, are there? No, there certainly isn't. And ultimately, I mean, when you look at that beautiful image of the Sacred Heart, and there's so many different ones. I have one in my office, which is a, a replica of the one in the Jesu. That, oh, yeah. that, that one where he, the sacred heart is in his hand and he's handing it to us. And when I look at it, Father, I, it is a great catechism of love, isn't it? That, that whole, that just the heart and the image, it's, it is, it's a catechism of love. It really is. And, and it's understandable on that very simple yet deep level. Uh, I always remember talking to a group of grade school kids, and I think they were second graders. And I was showing them the image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and pointing out the different aspects of it. And, and first of all, I had them, you know, find their own heart. Could they feel where their heart was beating? And they all held their chest. And I said, now look at this image of Jesus. His heart is on the outside. Why do you think his heart's on the outside of the body when your heart is on the inside? And this one little girl said, well, maybe, maybe he loves us so much he can't keep it inside. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is so perfect. She gets it in this very simple, childlike way. And that's what I think part of the devotion is as well. Uh, we live in a world that is so highly intellectual and abstract, and we think of scientific knowledge as the only knowledge, and that technology will solve all our problems. And we've forgotten the wisdom of the heart. 
that ultimately, if we are going to know how to use all this technological um, inventions that we have or all this scientific knowledge that we have, if we're going to know how to use it for good, we have to go to our heart where God speaks and reveals his wisdom and helps us understand what's the best path to follow. And that's where, when Jesus in the Gospel said, unless you become like little children, I think he was telling us we have to let go of some of our pride, our intellectual pride, thinking that we can have all the answers and solve all our problems without God. We have to let go of that and become more childlike and receive from God the answers and the wisdom that we need. And I think the the heart of Jesus represents that for us. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. This is Chris McGregor. The work of discerning hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. We now return to Inside the Pages. In the book, again, you go back, you really show us that it's more than just the image and that there have, throughout the time of the church, the saints have really tried to show us in that personal relationship with Jesus, getting to know him, he takes you into that great love, which is his heart. I'm thinking of the writings of St. Gertrude, St. Catherine of Siena, and so many others that have expressed that long before even St. Margaret Mary and Claude de Colombier were able to articulate it. That's right. You know, it really began right after um, the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, where the early church had this devotion to the wounds of Jesus, specifically his wounded side. And there's so many beautiful writings by the early theologians, doctors of the church, where they, they speak of that entry into the heart of Jesus, that wounded side of Jesus. And, you know, if we all think about it for a moment, it is kind of amazing. Uh, when I consider the resurrected Jesus, I guess in my mind I would think, well, all his wounds would be healed, you know, that his resurrected body would not have these wounds present. And yet the fact that his wounds are there are a reminder to us of his deep love, and that opening in his side is what helped St. Thomas believe that he was risen from the dead, and that wound in his side that leads to his heart can help each of us believe in the deep love he has for us. Mm. Even those who were more current contemporaries of our culture, uh, Catherine de Hewitt Doherty, the Baroness, Blessed Mother Teresa, her work with the poorest of the poor, all of them had this great love for the heart of Jesus. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, reading, you know, the diaries that came out uh, that uh, Blessed Mother Teresa had written, that include words about her struggle uh, with faith and darkness, uh, but throughout you'll see this deep love for the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And with Catherine de Huick doherty she was an emigrant from Russia when the Russian Revolution occurred. She was a baroness, and so all the aristocracy were being executed. She fled and went through terrible poverty herself, ended up in Canada, started a movement called Madonna House, was friends in Harlem with uh, Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day was in the lower Bowery of New York, and she was in Harlem with a place called Friendship House. But what you can see, and this is why I tell people, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is not a kind of individualistic piety that puts us into a little cocoon of security that isolates us from other people. But if we truly are devoted to the heart of Jesus, we will share the feelings and sentiments, the movements of Jesus' heart. And we can imagine Jesus looking out on the world today on people who are suffering, on people who are at risk, and how his heart must be moved toward other people in their sufferings. And if we share that uh, same devotion that he has to us, that's the other thing I like to say is that Sacred Heart devotion is really God's devotion to us, his concern and love for us. If we share that same movement of Jesus' heart, then we won't be isolated from other people, but we will be moved by the suffering we see around us, and we will want to respond to it because we know in doing so, we are answering what uh, Jesus calls us to do. Whatever you did for the least of my brothers or sisters, you did for me. We're talking with Father James Kubicki about his book, A Heart on Fire, Rediscovering Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I really think this book brings all those beautiful prayers that it brings new life to them. And it expands, it helps the prayer come alive, whether it's through use of Lexio or other wonderful prayer forms that you guide us through. And I, I think that's the key, isn't it, to really get into the heart of the prayers to the heart of Jesus. Right. Yes, to, to say it's not simply saying prayers, but praying. And I, I think that's one of the problems we had, you know, after the Second Vatican Council, as we renewed the liturgy uh, and emphasized active participation, many people looked on that as, uh, well, standing and sitting and kneeling with everyone, responding uh, in English to the words of the priest, and, and then uh, singing, uh, that we would all sing together. And those are all good. But if the heart isn't involved in the worship, if we're not really praying those prayers, if our minds are a million miles away, but our bodies are there, then we're really not praying, and we're not really actively participating in the Eucharist. And so uh, what I try to do with, with the book is to talk about the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist and how devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is very Eucharistic. And if we can listen to the words in a new way, and really be mindful as the Eucharistic prayer is being prayed, if we engage our hearts in that prayer, then we will be much more actively participating in the celebration of the Eucharist. Uh, it ultimately does bring us back to the Eucharist, doesn't it? 
Yes, yes. The, the Second Vatican Council said the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. And so all devotions, but especially uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart, should feed our own hearts, our own devotional life in such a way that we bring more to the Mass, to the celebration of the Mass. We bring a heart that's being renewed. We bring affections that are being um, blessed and, and uh, expanded. And, you know, even, I, I like to say this, I, that all devotions should lead us to pray the Mass better. A good example of that is if we pray the Rosary, meditating on the mysteries of the life of Jesus, then that meditation should allow us to celebrate the Mass with a more prayerful attitude. Because by looking at Jesus through the eyes of Mary, as Pope John Paul said, we will find our own affections deepened and our own thoughts renewed. And that's what we bring then to the celebration of the Mass. So while the Mass is the source and summit of the Christian life, it can be celebrated well only if we also have a very strong devotional life to go with it, a very strong spiritual life to go with our celebration of the Mass on Sunday. Does that help us to make that journey that Pope Benedict speaks of, of the one from the head to the heart, that changing knowledge into that wisdom? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, I, Pope Benedict speaks of that, and uh, Catherine de Hewitt Doherty, coming out of the Eastern tradition of the Church, speaks of that, that we can't just approach our spiritual life or the Gospels thinking about these things, because then we're kind of disengaged. We're abstractly thinking about the Gospel, but we have to become part of the story. And, and that's where St. Ignatius Loyola and the Jesuit tradition of praying with the Scriptures by imagining ourselves in the story, that is, is something that I think helps us move from the head to the heart. And especially in the book, what I recommend is, is going deeper, too, and not just imagining the gospel scene or story and becoming one of the characters in the story, but also to imagine what was going on in the heart of Jesus. Uh, what was moving his heart in the different scenes that we encounter in the gospel? And in that way, to, to ask our Lord to... Um, give us his attitudes, his values, his thoughts, his feelings, so that we may have a heart more and more like his. Boy, I can see why enthronement in the in the heart of our homes is, is such a, a beautiful act in the consecration of our very selves out into the world to the Sacred Heart. It, ultimately, it, it's all devoted to love. Who's right. God? Right. And, and I think family consecration is, is such a beautiful way of expressing our return of love for love, but also saying, you know, that family life is difficult and marriage is difficult, especially in our world today. We need Christ as king and center of our families, of our homes, of our hearts. And so to enthrone an image of Jesus in our home, but then not just to, to say, well, now, Jesus, we have this image of you in our house but to really recognize him as the king and center of our, our, our lives. And so I encourage people who do consecrate their families to the Sacred Heart to consider, you know, is the entertainment we have in the house, are the things we talk about, are these things that we would want Christ the King to be part of, or 
uh, are the things that he's calling us to let go of because they're not worthy of him. Pope Benedict XVI invites everyone to renew his devotion to the Sacred Heart of Christ. And what a great way to begin that process with your work. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I'm glad that uh, you found it so helpful and uh, are so encouraging of our listeners to uh, read it as well. Any final thoughts? Well, you know, in the book, what I tried to do is to not only explain the devotion, but to offer practices. And I like to say that each of us is unique, so we pray in different ways. And I tried to make this a prayer book, offering all kinds of different ways of expressing our return of love for love. So hopefully that will help people as well. Father James Kubicki, can we ask for your priestly blessing? I'd be most happy to. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your heart. We ask that our hearts may become more and more like yours. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. You're welcome, Chris. Good to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. With Father James Kubicki, we've gone inside the pages of A Heart on Fire, Rediscovering the Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to AveMariaPress.com, the website for its publisher, Ave Maria Press. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore to hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs. Visit DiscerningHearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you find your podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for... Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.